This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 487 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Today's tip is brought to you by EquestrianCollections.com. Hi, Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is from Julie Firstman. Julie is recognized as one of the nation's leading counselors and litigators in equine law. Her practice crosses all equine breeds and disciplines and serves a wide range of equine professionals and associations. She is the author of several books on equine law for lawyers as well as laypersons, like you and I. In addition, she has written over 200 articles on equine law, and her articles have been published in magazines that include Equus, Horse Illustrated, and Stable Management. Today's tip is Equine Liability Part 2. There's more to it than you might think, but yet it's not all that complicated. But first, a word about today's sponsor, EquestrianCollections.com. When horse folks need quality name brand products for themselves or their horses or their stables, they go to EquestrianCollections.com. Why, you may ask? Because of the astounding variety of top names in equestrian products that can be found there. EquestrianCollections.com knows you want products you can count on, and they have thousands of them available at competitive prices. And they don't stop there. You can also take advantage of savvy shopper emails, rider rewards programs, and even special unlimited shipping programs. No matter whether you jump in the meter 15 classes, chase the equitation points all the way to Congress or National, or just enjoy big sky country aboard your horse, EquestrianCollections.com has the name brand products, knowledgeable horse people, and great service that you need to enjoy your horse time to the fullest. Now, enjoy today's tip. And welcome back again, Julie. It's lovely to hear your voice. Well, thank you for having me back. This has been a lot of fun. Last time you were on, we had a, a great chat about equine activity liability laws, um, what they do and don't do, and some great points on things that you should really be aware of. What Today is part two of equine activity liability laws. What are we going to cover today? Let's talk about the requirements found in some of the laws, in fact, most of them, involving signs and contract language. Okay. Well, what we know is that, as we talked about last time, 46 states in the country currently have some form of an equine liability law, and we know that all states but California, New York, Maryland, and Nevada have one. Uh, But of the states that do have one, most of them require an equine professional and sometimes an equine activity sponsor, which could be an organization that's involved in uh, setting up or organizing equine activities to post warning signs. And I'll bet you've seen those posted, haven't you? Oh, yeah, we have them all over the place. You drive down the, you drive down the back roads of Lexington, Kentucky, and you look over, and they'll have this gorgeous entryway that has a stone wall and a gate that costs more than my whole house, and then splatted it up against the gate with duct tape is one of the equine liability signs. <laughs> Ruining the view. But it ruins the view. they with the law. It, they, um, but, you know, they got to put them up. <laughs> right. And interestingly, uh, Kentucky has a farm animal activity liability law. So unlike most of the states, 
that have signs that mention under the Equine Activity Liability Act, yours uniquely has a farm animal requirement. So it says under the Farm Animal Activity Liability Act, and then it goes on. But that language, as we know, is there because the law in Kentucky, like most of the laws uh, that exist now, have said that if you are engaged in or if you are a uh, professional or an equine activity sponsor, you must post these warning signs. And the laws tell you that you should post them in uh, close, sometimes they'll say close proximity to the equine activity. Sometimes they give you a general idea of where to put them. Oddly enough, the laws often tell you how big the signs have to be. Pennsylvania, I think, requires two feet by three feet. That's a big sign. Yeah, and, there, and there is quite the um, the price gouging going on there. I've noticed that, you know, because you have to buy the sign. You have to buy the sign from them. You can't make your own. Those so those signs, it's like $10 for this paper sign. It's crazy. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, they charge a lot of money for those signs. No doubt. I've told people that as long as they read their equine liability law, that is to say the law where they live or do business, and as long as they know what it requires about the language on the sign, the size of the lettering on the sign, maybe the color of the lettering on the sign, chances are they can make their own sign up. They just have to make sure that they follow the law. Precisely. Some people, yeah. yeah, some people find it's a real hassle of getting the poster board and printing it. Better, they think, to just get out and buy the darn thing. Uh, well, and it's nice because some of the states offer, well, I think it's Pennsylvania, that because I used to live there, I was a little more familiar with it. They offer a sign that's outdoor use. It's like metal and weatherproof and all that kind of great stuff. The ones they sell in Kentucky are made of paper. Oh, great. <laughs> really? <laughs> there's, a little, there's a little cottage industry popping up from it. I think I've I seen think there a, is. a company. Right, hey, I, gotta, I have an important question, though, before we move on to the next part of this one. And yes. um, in the liability laws, it will talk about an a professional or a sponsor. Does Aunt, Auntie Mame and Uncle George, who have six horses in their backyard, that um, the relatives ride occasionally, sometimes the next-door neighbor kid comes over and says, please, 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 can I ride them around the pasture? Is that person held the same standard as a, quote, professional or sponsor? In my opinion, no. Uh, but the way to find a definitive answer is to take a look at the particular law in the state and see how it defines an equine professional or an equine activity sponsor. The typical backyard horse person who doesn't give lessons, they don't train horses, breed horses, board horses, would probably not fall in the category of a professional and they probably also wouldn't put, uh, fall in the category of a sponsor if the law requires sponsors to post signs. So you want to you want to go to your you want to go to your local your state and find out exactly how they define those people and if there are exceptions on the book where Auntie Mame and Uncle George got into mischief because the next door neighbor came over and played in the pasture and got their toes stepped on. That could be the problem, and some of the laws in fact, define an equine professional as somebody who raises horses for resale or stock replenishment. And what does that mean? What if you sell a couple horses in a given year? Uh, does that put you in the professional category? Well, it, it might. So take a mm-hmm. look at the law. Some people have asked if they should just post the warning signs anyway, even if they're not a professional or a sponsor, and that's up to them. I've always said it doesn't hurt to put the signs up. doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean you're a professional. But it's, it's just a precaution. You're telling you people about the law. Yeah, cool. And now the the next part of this is, are there zero liability laws? 
Hmm. Well, let me back up and tell you that if your state requires the posting of signs, you may not be done yet. Oh, really? might actually tell you that you've got to put certain language in your contract (gasps) if you use contracts. Interestingly, some states say you don't get any immunities unless you have a written document, like, for example, Virginia and the state of Arizona. They require the signing of some type of a document, and the law tells you some of the language that they want included. But for the most part, the laws that have the signposting requirements will often put one other requirement out, and that is if you're a sponsor or a professional, typically the professionals, you have to include certain language in your contracts that would include either the very same language from your warning sign um, or sometimes a list of inherent risks or, like, for example, in the state of Iowa, put them both in there (laughs) where the law says repeat that same warning language and here's a list of risks and we want you to put this in. And then you get states like uh, Ohio. Ohio doesn't have the warning sign requirement. They don't have that warning language requirement, but they do say that if you are a professional, possibly sponsored, but I do recall professional, you've got to list a certain number of inherent risks, and that's part of your contract. Interesting. uh, Yes, and that's why when people use contract forms that maybe they borrowed from a friend, a relative, neighbor, and if that form was old, it may not include that critical warning language. And I, I know that that's an issue because there are some equine liability laws, typically I find in the uh, southeast, such as South Carolina, North Carolina, Mississippi, Louisiana, uh, Georgia, and Alabama, that say if you fail to include that language, that required warning language in your contracts, well, you lose all benefit of your equine liability law. So that's pretty important. Other states that are jumped on the bandwagon on that are your state of Kentucky plus Indiana. Interesting. Well, that's that's, that's a really important one because... Equine liability laws that require signage have been around for some time since the first state got theirs. But that is very interesting, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that are not aware that, A, you have to have a contract, and, B, the contract has to be specific to your state. So folks, get on the Internet and and look that up. And be cautious, too, because the laws don't necessarily say that you must use a contract. A lot of the laws are very clear that say, if you use a contract, We'll put this in it, add this into your contract. Uh, But they don't always jump to the point of requiring that you must use a contract and it must use that language. The bottom line, if you have a contract and you're using it, make sure it complies with your state equine liability law. Wow, Uh, that's fascinating. You did ask, um, you asked about whether these are zero liability laws, and uh, it sounds to a degree like they are when you read the very beginning of them. But when you read the law all the way through, which not a lot of us like to do, but if you do, you'll see that these laws have not permanently ended all liabilities. They've narrowed some of the liabilities. They've eliminated a lot of the types of things that people used to sue for, but liability is still with us. And I always say to people, insurance is not obsolete with these laws. The need for insurance is still there. Oh, yeah. Um, Is there, being not a lawyer, give the... Is there an example of such a thing as a zero liability law outside of the horse world? Yes, there are. There are ski area safety laws that affect ski industries, whitewater rafting laws. There are roller skating rink laws. Uh, these types of laws have found their way into a whole bunch of different industries. So we're not alone. Hmm. Well, I can, in a way, I can kind of get the whole it doesn't exist in the horse world because the horse, you know, when you, if, it, if you're roller skating – 
you put the roller skates on. The roller skate cannot make his own decision. <laughs> so, you know, I, I kind of get why that hasn't happened in the, in the equine industry, so I'm okay with that. But once again, Julie, really fascinating stuff that um, we should all be aware of. It's a great thing to um, learn about come wintertime when we're all stuck indoors and going a little bit crazy. Instead of surfing Craigslist for really bad ads to submit to the Horses and Morning Show, maybe take a few of those hours and surf about and learn a little bit more about equine liability laws in your state. Always a good idea. Better yeah. to be forewarned and to avoid liability. Absolutely. We're trying to take all of your business away. <laughs> you know what? I think that if we can avoid liability, we can avoid injury, and we can avoid litigation, it doesn't matter. That is always a good thing. Yay. And thanks again for coming by, Julie. There you go. To listen to all of Julie's tips, go to horsetipdaily.com and go to the experts drop-down menu on the left. You can also go to Julie's blog at www.equinelawblog.com. Please stop by the Horse Tip Daily Facebook page and let us know what you think of the tips you hear on the show. It's also a great place to tell us about topics you'd like to hear us cover. You can subscribe to all of the great shows on the Horse Radio Network through iTunes or Zune and get your horse podcasts automatically downloaded to your iPod, Zune, or MP3 player. I'll be back again tomorrow with another new expert and a different horse tip. Until then, go ride your horse! The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.